Amen. We could just go home after that. Praise God. We'll open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Today we're going to continue our detour from the Sermon on the Mount and continue our series on the theology of the family. Today we're going to examine what God requires of children. Uh, So children, I want you to get your Bibles out. I want you to get your pen and paper out. And I want you to give me your full attention today. Most of this will be directed to you. So let's look at what the Word of God says about children. Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to read the first three uh, verses. The Word of the Lord says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Let's pray together. Father God, as we turn to your word now and as we see what you have put in your word regarding children's duty to you, to their parents, Lord, we pray that you'd be with us. Lord, I pray that you'd use the word of God now to sanctify your people, to call sinners out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, may you be glorified today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when it comes to the parent-child relationship, there has been, over the last, really, 50 years, a societal shift. And that shift has really ramped up over the last five years. But slowly, over the last 50 to 60 years or more, there's been this shift that slowly moved from the biblical model of parent-child relationship to now it becoming almost the complete opposite. Now, in our culture, children have the authority. Children have autonomy, and that autonomy to do whatever they please, Uh, and parents are now to bend to the will of the child. In fact, we see this playing out in many states, as many states around our nation are passing laws that protect this very thing, laws against parental duty under God to constrain and to teach their children their sin, But there are states now enacting laws that uh, will require parents to affirm their child in their sin. There are many stories around the nation where children are being taken away from their parents because their parents are attempting to speak truth to them, specifically with this gender dysphoria and this gender ideology that we're seeing rampant among our culture. And children are actually being taken away by their parents, from their parents, by the state because their parents are not affirming their quote-unquote gender of choice. And this is part of the enemy's agenda, and I mentioned this last week in the introduction in our theology of the family. Uh, This is the enemy's, part of the enemy's agenda. Uh, As I mentioned last week, the vehicle that I see the enemy using is this idea of cultural Marxism and this Marxist ideology. Part of the enemy's agenda is to usurp parents' role and indoctrinate your children with these godless ideologies. We even see laws now in many states that prohibit parents from using the rod of discipline. And this problem is much bigger than what I see in many conservative circles who are fighting for and screaming for parental rights, which is a good thing. We need parental rights, but it's much bigger than that. And many of these battles and many of these fights are missing the why behind it, and they're missing the big picture when it comes to parental rights and the authority of the parent. And we're going to see that as we walk through the text. So today we're going to look at the fifth commandment, uh, which because of its neglect has been part of the cause of our, of our societal breakdown and decay. So last week we started our theology of the family and I walked through some of the biblical principles that we see when it comes to uh, the family. How God is the one who authored and designed and gets to, des- and gets to define who a family and what a family is. Uh, we looked through uh, families are covenantal. You know, we walked through texts 
about that. We walk through texts on how God defines a family as patriarchal. Uh, we walk through that, and then we walk through how God designed families to worship together, uh, both in the home and at church when the people of God come together. So now we're going to look at the fifth commandment. We're going to look at children's duties. And in the, uh, in the upcoming weeks, we'll look at what God requires of wives, what God requires of husbands, and we'll wrap it all up. But today we're going to look at the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother, as we see repeated here by Paul uh, to the Ephesian church. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the weight of the command. We're going to look at the obligations of and reason for the command. And then we're going to look at the blessings of obedience to the command. So first, the weight of the command. What is God's view of obeying your parents, children? What, what does God think about his command that he gives you to obey and honor your parents. Or to reverse the question, what is God's view of dishonoring your parents? What is God's view of disobeying your parents? How serious does God take it when children disobey their parents? Well, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. We're going to get an idea here on what God thinks about the seriousness of disobedient children. Romans chapter 1, Paul goes through and explains the depravity of man and the, the, um, the, the levels of depravity and how man keeps sinking deeper and deeper into sin. And chapter 1 and verse 18 sort of sets the foundation for the rest of the chapter where Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So this sets the foundation for the, the whole rest of the chapter. You'll see Paul keeps referring to them, they, them. He's referring to these people in verse 18 who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. These are unbelievers who know that God exists, but they try to deny God by suppressing their sin and unrighteousness. So this is a blanket text for the unbelievers who Paul is describing in the rest of the chapter. But look, if you will, starting at verse 28. Paul says, And just as they, who's the they? Children, the, the men who suppress the truth, unbelievers. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind, a, an evil or a, um, an egregious mind, to do those things which are not proper. And then in verse 29, he just lists all of these ungodly, wicked things. He says, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God. Children, these are, these are wicked sins. Insolent, he goes on. They're arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. Hit the brakes. Up to that point, you would say, wow, such wickedness. These people are so, they're haters of God. They're murderers. They invent evil. And then the very next term says disobedient to parents. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, because God gave his law in their heart. They know what's right. They're, they know there is a right. There is a wrong. Although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do them, but also give hardly approval, approval to those who practice them. So here we see this long list. We see the outworkings of a societal, moral decay that Paul gives here. And in the middle of these egregious sins, we have this very light thing. Oh, they, you know, just kids that disobey their parents. No, this is God's stamp of approval on how serious it is when a society has children who disobey their parents. It's very serious in the eyes of God. Paul echoes this in 2 Timothy. Turn there with me. 
Children, I pray that you're following along. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, he says, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful. So again, now Paul is describing the unbelieving world in its moral decay in the last days where there's a greater level of sinners. He says, boastful, arrogant revilers, and here it is again, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. He says, avoid such men as these. So here again, it seems rather odd that in the middle of all of these evil, egregious things, that Paul, in two separate occasions, just inserts this thing on disobedient parents. Well, when we see the collapse of a society, which this and Romans 1 is describing, when we see the collapse and the moral decay of a society and the unfruitful works of darkness, when we see it permeate the land, friends, we see a direct connection to the lack of children uh, being obedient to their parents. And isn't that prevalent today? Don't we see that running rampant throughout all the land? Don't we see children growing up in our culture who have absolutely no regard for their parents' authority? And to perpetuate this, we see the authority stripped away from parents in the public school system and even in our civil magistrate, as I mentioned, as they create laws that take away that authority and give it to the child. So we see this permeating our land. And the civil government has an absolute duty to protect the family bonds uh, and to legislate in a way that promotes the fifth commandment. And I touched on this last week with the cultural mandate, how we are to, we are to procreate, we are to have families, we are to bring children up in the Lord, uh, we are to not kill the innocent. The civil government's job is to protect the things which God lays down in the cultural mandate that he did with Adam, then he did again with Noah. And this is one of them. The civil government's job is to promote and to protect the fifth commandment. And we're not seeing that in our day today. So how serious is this command to God? Well, we see that it is very serious. Not only is it mentioned here in these two texts uh, in regards to the moral decay of a culture, but in the Mosaic Law, God prescribed the death penalty for children who showed a pattern of absolute rebellion. So now flip over to the other side of your Bible, uh, Exodus chapter, uh, or excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 21. And as you're doing that, we're looking up at this passage, and in Exodus 21, verse 15, it says, He who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. But there are some parameters for this, okay? They didn't just go around... Uh, killing, you know, small children who disobeyed their parents and didn't want to clean their room, okay? Uh, Deuteronomy 21, beginning at verse 18. If any man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or his mother, and when they chastise him, he will not even listen to them, then his father and mother shall seize him and bring him out to the elders of the city, at the gateway of his hometown. They shall say to the elders of his city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death. You shall remove the evil from your midst, and all Israel will hear of it and fear. Okay, so what do we have here? This is no small charge, and this is no small infraction this is not describing probably some of our kids, right, who are disobedient. This is not describing that person. We see some specific parameters that God gives uh, to impose the death penalty upon an obstinate child. First thing is that we see this is probably an adult or a young adult. Two, they're out of control. They are so obstinate that it says that they have to seize him 
In verse 19, that word in Hebrew where it says, father, mother shall seize him. It's not just, hey, we're going to over here. That word in the Hebrew literally means to catch and to forcefully capture. That's how obstinate, okay? And that's probably showing that they're a grown person and they're so obstinate that they have become an absolute menace to society. They're also a drunkard, we see there in verse 21, and a glutton. They have become an absolute menace to society that if they weren't put to death, they would end up causing harm or possibly killing others. Okay? So this is God's law. And before we say, oh man, that's so harsh, God, God was so harsh back then. Uh, friends, we've got to ask ourselves, is God good? Is God just? Amen. This being part of his law, we have to be careful looking back and say, wow, that's so unjust to put down you know, a child for being disobedient. Again, look at the context, and this was actually the loving thing for them to do because this person would end up hurting and killing others. But instead, God gives them parameters and gives them uh, regulations on putting an obstinate uh, older child uh, to death. Uh, so this is one of the laws that if you read in Deuteronomy Earlier in the book, God actually said that because of your laws, other nations will see your laws and say, wow, what a righteous nation that is and what righteous laws they have. Okay, So this just shows you the seriousness that God has for disobedient children. Another example, uh, if you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3, you have these sons of Eli. Eli was a priest. His sons were to be priests of God. God judged Eli for not restraining his son's sins. Eli's sons not only defrauded the sacrifices, we read in chapter 3, and they did this by taking some of the meat and the fat from the sacrifices, which God required in his law to be burnt on the altar. Okay, so they disregarded, it actually says that he, they despised the Lord's offering. Not only did they do that, they also made the very temple of God into a prostitution camp. And God told Eli, by the way of Samuel, that he was bringing judgment to his house by taking their lives, his, his sons, and by raising up another priest who would be faithful to Yahweh. First uh, Samuel 3, verse 13, For I have told him, that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. He did not rebuke them. He actually, early in the chapter, he did try to rebuke them, if you recall, but they kept furthering their sin in the Lord's house and Eli, according to the law of God, should have dealt with that in a swift manner, and possibly even the death penalty. But because of it, because he did not restrain his son's sin, God judged the house of Eli. So children, this gives you an idea, hopefully, on the seriousness that God places on the fifth commandment in his moral law, one of the ten commandments to honor your parents, to obey them, so I hope you see that God doesn't take it lightly when you dishonor your parents. God does not take it lightly when you disobey your parents. And, and why does God put, put such an emphasis on this command as it seems? I think this will become more clear as we go through uh, the text. But let's go back to Ephesians. So we laid the groundwork. We see what God thinks about uh, the disobedience of this sin. And so now we're going to actually look at the obligations of this sin, the obligations and the reason, so not sin, of the command. So what does this entail? What are the obligations and the reason for this command? What well, says, children, obey your parents, for this is right. The first thing to observe in this text is that this is written in the first person. This is not writing to the parents. Paul is writing to children. He's addressing by way of letter, which was to be read in the church. 
He's addressing the children in first person. So children, as I am addressing you today in the first person, this is how Paul addressed children in the early church at Ephesus. And this was a very novel thing for a number of reasons. Most all of the ancient writings during that time written about child rearing in general were always written to the father, never addressed directly to the children. Paul expected to see the moms and the dads to be in the church with the whole family. Paul doesn't address the father or, excuse me, um, Paul doesn't address the father to have their children obey. He's, oh, he's addressing the actual children. Uh, furthermore, he says children. He doesn't say sons or daughters. This is novel, too, because you may not have been aware of this, but in the ancient Greek world, which where Ephesus finds itself, is that girls were not even allowed to be in public until they were at the age to marry. So Paul is assuming that the New Testament church, the whole families are there. The women aren't at home. The girls aren't at home. But the whole family is there worshiping together. And I mentioned this last week, and I'll mention it again. He doesn't tell the parents to go get the kids out of the nursery and children's church or to go get the kids out of youth group to come and to listen to the word, but he's addressing the children directly. And that's what we see throughout all of Scripture. We see that the women, the children, everybody gathered together as God's people to hear the preaching of the word. God commands you children, it says, obey your parents in the Lord. The word to obey is hupakao. The, the hupa or the hypa means to be under, and the akuo in the Greek means to listen. It literally means to be under somebody's, list, uh, somebody's command, to hearken yourself to a command. That's what the word obey means. This is the same word, children, that's used when Jesus rebuked the storm. And it became calm in an instant. And his disciples said, Who is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? It's the same word that's used. Jesus didn't have to ask the storm twice to be calm. The sea and the storm was still because it obeyed the Son of God. Colossians 3.20 says to obey your parents in all things. Children, you are required by God, the very God who created you, who gave you life and breath, to obey your parents in everything they tell you to do, minus any sinful commands. He says, obey your parents in the Lord. The in the Lord is attached to the obeying. You are to obey in the Lord your parents. Meaning any lawful command that your parents give you, you are commanded by God to obey. Unless they're asking you to do something sinful. And I would probably have to imagine that most of your parents, the parents here, are godly parents. And that they're not going to command you to do something sinful. However, if they do then you have the liberty, as a matter of fact, you are obligated by God's word to respectfully decline that command if they're asking you to, let's say, lie, uh, if they're asking you to steal, uh, if they're asking you to do anything that God says not to do or they're asking you not to do something that God commands you to do, then in an honoring and respectful way, you are required to say no. In the Lord. So what is obedience? Well, we just mentioned obedience is prompt. Jesus didn't have to ask the sea to be calm twice. So obedience, children, if you're taking notes, it's prompt. It is a disgrace to your parents, boys and girls, for them to have to ask you to do something more than once. It is a disgrace to your parents for them to have to ask you to do something more than once. Obedience is prompt. Obedience is fully partial obedience. Children is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. Obedience is joyfully. Outward obedience 
with an inward disdain or contempt for your parents is a sign of a wrong heart. It's a sign of dishonor. Obedience is also self-denying, children. Obedience to your parents means that you deny yourself and your wants and you bend your will and your desires to the will of your parents. So obedience means not asking for another option when your parents give you a command. Obedience is not giving excuses as to why you shouldn't do something that you're being asked. It also means not trying to manipulate to get your, a different way or giving other options if you're not asked. It means, it means not questioning once your parents make a decision. It is a denial of yourself. It's a denial of your way, your will, your want. And then with obedience comes submission. So children, you are to submit to your mother and your father. We have no better example than this than your own Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Turn to Luke chapter 2. You can't have obedience without submission. Luke chapter 2. You know the story, you know the account, children, where uh, Jesus was left behind in Jerusalem. His parents traveled. They had to turn around and come back. They went looking for Jesus. They found him. They're like, what are you doing? And, you know, Jesus said, don't you know I'm about to, I'm to be about my father's business, right? Well, look at Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 51. And he went down with them, with his parents, and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. So it says that he continued in subjection to his parents. The word subjection is hupotasso. It means to submit. We went over this in Bible study. Sub means to be under, right? So hupotasso, to submit, to arrange underneath another person, to be subordinate to them. It literally means, in the Greek, to be subject to another person's control. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who created and sustained all things, submitted himself under his father and his mother's care. And it says that he continued in subjection to them. This means it was ongoing. So Jesus, as a young boy, is the model for you, dear child. He is the model for you. Now I want to ask you, does this describe you? Does this describe your interaction and your relation with your parents? Are you continuing yourself in submission and into subjection to your parents as Jesus did? Interesting to note, that this submission here is the same word used for wives when they're commanded to be subject to their own husband. Now, while I understand there is an absolute different relational uh, aspect, there's a relational difference in a child's submission to their parents and a wife's submission to her husband, absolutely understand that there's a difference in relation there. But the word is the same word, to submit. Wives, submit to your own husband. So wives, in a sense, you actually model this for your children. Uh, biblical submission as you submit or don't submit to your own husband. You actually provide a model for your children. You often find parallels from how children treat their parents uh, to how wives submit or not submit to their husband and how husbands love or not love their wife as Christ loves the church. You see these parallels. Uh, you see this parallel uh, with a lack of submission a wife has to her husband. Uh, specifically in the home, if the wife has not submitted to her husband, she is exasperating her children when trying to get them to submit to her. So wives, I want to ask you, do you constantly complain to or about your husband? Do you constantly question in front of your children your husband's decisions? Do you constantly try to have your own way when your husband wants to go a certain direction that's not sinful? How do you submit to your husband? Because that's how your children are seen, and that's how they're modeling how to submit or not to submit 
to their parents, to you and your husband. Dad, same with you. Do you model submission in how you submit to Christ? Uh, husbands, you're not autonomous. You are called to submit to Christ. You're, com- you're called to submit to your employers. You're called to submit to the church. So husbands, do you openly complain about your employer in front of your kids? Do your kids see how you don't submit to your uh, employer or don't submit to the church uh, or don't submit to Christ? Because your children see that. And you exasperate your children when they don't see dad submit to the proper authority that God has placed in your life. So you are the example your kids look to and mirror. So children, you are to submit to your parents. God requires you, children, to be absolutely perfect when it comes to submitting to your parents. He requires every time that you're asked to do something to do it promptly, joyfully, without excuse, and holy. Uh, your parents, children, cannot compromise, and they should not compromise or excuse your sin. Now, you may be thinking, wow, you just said perfectly. I can't be perfect. I can't do this every time without exception. That's the point, dear child. You can't do it, but God requires you to do it. This is why, friends, you need the grace of God young man, young woman. You need the grace of God to be upon your life, to be able to please God and submit and obey your parents in these areas. But God, see, God uses your parents' discipline. Your parents cannot compromise on this issue, and they should not compromise on this issue. But God uses your parents' discipline, even when you don't like it or don't agree with it or don't want the discipline Children, God uses your parents' discipline to show you your need of a Savior. Your parents ought to be disciplining you, not on their own whims, not arbitrarily, meaning not without a standard. They ought to be disciplining you according to the standard of God's Word. And this is the beauty that God has given the grace to you, children, to give you godly parents who would discipline you according to His Word. And God uses this to show your sin, to expose your sin. And, and your parents uh, should do this in love. But they do this to show and expose your sin. Because children, if your parents just let you to continue in your sin, you think it's going to get better or you think it's going to get worse? No, this is God's grace upon your life. Your, your parents' discipline is actually God's grace in your life. And for those of you who are children who are in Christ, you have made a profession of faith, you love God, you've been baptized, you've been born again, you still are in need of much of God's grace to fulfill your duty. You need to cry out to God. You need to be in prayer to God. Listen, children, if you're in Christ, you need to be in prayer, constant prayer to God for His grace to help you in this area. Uh, Children, if you're not praying on a daily basis, if you're not praying on a daily basis for God to help you, to give you grace, to obey, and to honor your parents, you're going to continue to fall into sin. You're going to continue to fall into sin. But children, you must be sober-minded and to be alert because your enemy, the devil, is like a prowling lion seeking whom he may devour and listen to me children listen to me you need to be on guard against the enemy because he wants you as well just as much as last week i shared he wants your parents he wants your parents to fall he wants you to fall dear dear child he wants you to rebel against your your parents he wants you to think that obeying your parents is not a big deal you know, I see my friends, uh, you know, they don't really do what their parents tell them. Or my, my friends' parents, they don't tell their, their, you know, you know, their kids uh, what to do. They kind of let them do what they want. Uh, but friends, listen, don't fall into that trap. Because the devil wants you to fall into that trap so that you would grow up and leave the church, leave the faith, and rebel against the God who gave you godly parents. So he will provide the grace, but you need to seek him children. You need to seek him in prayer. Uh, You need to seek him daily, confessing your shortcomings, that you can't do this. If you think you can obey your parents, children, as God has commanded you to obey, 
then you need to repent of pride because you cannot do it. You need the grace of God. You need to press into prayer and his word. Now, what's the reason for the command? Look at the, look at the text. He says, obey your parents in the Lord for this is what? This is right. Or another way you could say that is this is fitting. It's the right thing to do. What does he mean by that? Well, children, if you look at, the na- if you look at nature, doesn't nature tell us that it's the right thing to do for children to obey their parents? Look at other animals. Isn't it? God gives us this picture in other animals that the offspring, they obey their parents. So I don't know if you have animals or have ever had baby animals, but we've had chickens and we've had chicks. And it's a beautiful picture about these chicks. They obey their mama chick. When they're out scratching around for food, there's a very unique call that that mama hen gives that only mama hens give. And right when she makes it, what do those chicks do? They don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to. No, they run under that hen's wings because they are fearing for their life. God gives you that picture. When he says, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It is good. It is fitting. It is the right thing to do for you to obey your parents. In Colossians 3.20, in the parallel passage, uh, God gives another reason to obey your parents. He says, for it is well-pleasing to the Lord. Children, it is well-pleasing to God when you obey your parents. Our culture today has totally turned that around. Our culture says it is not right for children to obey their parents. Our culture says it is not fitting for children to obey their parents. It's totally the opposite, as I mentioned in my introduction. Parents, you must allow your children to do what they want. You must allow them to choose for themselves. You must give them autonomy and even affirm them when they want to sin. And if not, we'll take your kids and put you in jail. There's countless number of stories, as I mentioned. Again, that's happening all across our land. So we have to be aware, parents, that this is part of the enemy's attack. And we need to be a voice of truth to the culture. That children who obey their parents and children obeying their parents is right. Parents are given the authority for raising their children, not the state. You see how our society all around us is collapsing, and I believe it's from abandoning this command from society. We're now in the third, second, maybe third generation uh, of, of having a complete failure to protect and uphold the fifth commandment, and we're absolutely seeing the fruit of it. Parents are encouraged, not just by the government, but by secular psychologists. Parents are uh, encouraged and commanded and even said it's not loving if you, if you bend to your children's will and bend to your children's emotions when it comes to certain things. Uh, we see the, 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 the child mutilation happening around. It's so, it sickens me. It's so sad. And, and to hear what's going on in these circles with the secular humanists and in the government schools where they are, they are telling their parents that if you do not affirm your child in this sinful thing, if you even try to speak to them any type of truth, you are actually the evil person now, they say. You are evil. You are a menace to society, and your children need to be taken away from you. We have to be on guard of that and not be afraid to speak the truth. So children, obey your parents because he says it is right. It is the right thing to do. So the next command here in verse 2, honor your father and mother. Children, it's not enough to obey your parents. You can obey your parents on the outside, but honor is in the heart. And God says to honor your father and mother. This word in the original language means to esteem to fix a value upon. It has the idea of looking at another person in a higher honor than how you look at yourself. 
Jesus, uh, the same word is used when Jesus said that all would honor the Son as they would honor the Father. Now, there's a different sense. Obviously, children, we're not honoring our parents in a way of worshiping them as God. We uh, have a different sense as we ascribe worship to Christ as we honor him. But the premise is the same. We hold the person that we honor as higher, more important, as more loved and more revered than others and even ourself. Leviticus 19.3 Every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father. We see this example even in King Solomon. Children, you remember when King Solomon, he was king over the entire uh, Israel, over entire Israel. And in 1 Kings chapter 2, guess who comes into his kingdom? His mom comes walking in. And he is the highest rank in all the kingdom. And Solomon, it says, when his mom came in, he arose to meet her and went and bowed before her. Solomon, the king of Israel, esteemed his mother as better than himself. As the king went and knelt and bowed before her, esteeming her and honoring her. Honor, children, is a work of the heart. Is a work of the heart. To honor your parents means to have reverence towards them. It means to have reverence towards your parents. Um, And this reverence is an inward consciousness of their authority. It affects your inward feelings and your thoughts towards your parents, which leads to outward words and actions. This is very important, children, because, again, you can, some of you are very good at obeying your parents on the outside. Some of you, God gave you a natural disposition to be compliant, and it's easy even for some of you to obey your, children, to obey your parents on the outside. But reverence is in the heart. It, it affects everything in your heart, your words, your thoughts about your parents, which then leads to action. So if your thoughts and your hearts is not right towards your parents on the inside, you are not showing honor to your parents. And this leads to the external. To honor your parents, children, means your speech, how you talk to your parents, must be reverent. It must be submissive. It must be meek, respectful. It must not be loud, interruptive, boisterous, or even snarky or sarcastic. That is not honoring to your parents, boys and girls. Your parents are not your equals. They are a higher rank than you. You are to submit. You are to lower yourself. You are a lower rank than them. They're not better than you, okay? Because we're all one in Christ. We're all co-heirs with Christ. But God establishes different roles and different positions, children, and your parents are to be at a higher rank than you. You are to think of them as a higher rank. Children, do any of you like the military and the army and all that cool stuff that comes along with it? Well, they understand to the core what it means to honor and to submit to a higher rank. When you have a commanding officer come in and you are at a lower rank, there is a different way that that soldier will talk to the commanding officer than the way that he would talk to his colleague of the same rank. He is going to talk with more reverence. He is going to seek to do what is pleasing to his commanding officer. And children, that's what honor is all about. It's not waiting for your parents to tell you what to do. If your parents know that they like something to be done, to honor them means you're actively thinking, oh, wow, mom really likes when I make my bed when I get up or uh, whatever it may be, fill in the blank. You know what your parents like. You know what they don't like. Honor is not waiting for them to ask you to do that or not. Honor is seeking to please the one who gave birth to you, your mother, the one who cares for you, your father, and protects you, uh, the ones who teach you the things of God. That's what it means to honor children. Think about how you can please your, your parents from the day to day. There must be a love and reverence in the way you talk to them 
as one of a higher rank. But not only how you talk to them, children, to honor your parents means your speech about your parents must also bring them honor. And by the way, this never changes. Us adults, we are still required to honor our parents by the way we talk about them. Okay? So children, the way you talk about your parents shows if you're honoring them or dishonoring them. You must never speak badly about your mom or about your dad. You must never talk about their faults to others. We're commanded as Christians not to talk badly about others. How much more your own father and your own mother. You must always speak of them, about them, in a positive light, children, to your friends or even amongst your siblings. Titus 3, verse 1 and 2, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to speak evil or to malign no one. This is a general command to not speak evil of others, how much more your own parents. The great Puritan theologian Jonathan Edwards, one of his resolutions was to never speak badly about another, even if it's true. The children, you must never speak badly about your parents. You must never talk about your parents' faults or things that they did that would uh, pose them in a negative light. Now, this obviously is not applying to sinful situations uh, where we would want to encourage children to seek for help if there's a type of sinful abuse going on in the home. But we're talking about revealing uh, your, your parents' mistakes, their, their, their sinfulness, their, their whatever it is. You must never speak ill about your parents. Also, honoring your parents means accepting their discipline. Honoring your parents means accepting their discipline. And I think this is going to be hard for some of you children to accept. But listen to me. Your home, God gave as a rule of government. There is a structure that God gives, and there's a sphere of authority that God has given to you. And that sphere of authority includes your parents as the ones who makes the rules. Your parents get to make the rules. And again, as long as nothing sinful in nature, you are to obey those rules. So honoring your parents means that when you break those rules, when you break the order, break the structure of your parents' home, and you're going to get consequences, you must even submit to those consequences and not buck against them, try to avoid them, try to weasel your way out of them, even if you do not agree with the consequence. Again, The caveat here is children are not required to submit to sinful, abusive situations. But what I'm saying, children, is that if you sin, if you break a rule, your mom says, don't do this, you did it. Your dad says, do this, you didn't do it. I don't care if they didn't give you a consequence the last time. Okay? They should be more consistent. We should be more consistent. Forgive us. But I don't care. God doesn't care if they let that last one slide. That's our sin. Okay, children? But if you break a rule in the house and your parents give you a consequence, you are required, as part of your duty to God, you are required to submit to your parents' discipline and not rebel against it. A sign of dishonor in the heart is to buck against your parents' discipline. And children, listen to me. It's wrong. God calls it rebellion. And we read in Bible study... 1 Samuel 4, I believe, rebellion is like witchcraft to God. He hates rebellion. It is rebellion is displeasing to the Lord, and I would call you to repent if you avoid or rebel or buck up against your parents' discipline. The way that you honor your parents, children, is reflective of how you're honoring God. Dishonor your parents, children. Disobey your parents. You're dishonoring and disobeying God. And as you grow older, for your older children, honoring your parents means you seek their guidance and counsel. Honoring your parents means you seek their guidance and counsel. As you grow older, your parents will see fit to give you more liberty. Honoring your parents means 
not taking that liberty and, and living autonomously. Honoring your parents means seeking counsel from them, getting their wisdom. The Bible says in the multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. Uh, this doesn't end either. If you have godly parents, even if you don't have godly parents, adults, your parents, if they're still living, they have some experience that you don't have. They have some wisdom you can glean from. Okay? Obviously, you're not going to seek counsel on a, on a spiritual matter if your parents are unbelievers. Uh, but children, as you grow older, seek counsel. Uh, even if your parents give you liberty to do something, seek counsel like, like, like mom, dad, let me tell you about this. What would you do, right? Seek counsel from your parents, even if you end up doing something different than what they would do, right? You have the liberty to do that. Your parents have given you the freedom. You still, to honor your parents, is to seek guidance and seek their counsel. So this command as, as living, if we have living parents, us adults, does not end. We also need to figure out how we, as adults, can honor our parents, Honor your father and your mother. Uh, we need to balance that with leaving and cleaving. Our first priority is our family, but we're still required under God's word to honor our parents. So what does that look like? Uh, that's something we have to flesh out as adults. We are still required to honor our father and mother. So lastly, let's look at the blessings of obedience. The blessings of obedience. So the fifth commandment, first given on Mount Sinai, Paul repeats it here, and he reminds his readers that this is the first commandment with a promise. Look there at verse uh, 2. It says, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. So Paul changes this just a little bit. In Exodus chapter 20 on Mount Sinai, when God first gives this law to Moses, he says, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The promise was specific to physical Israel that they would live long in the land of Canaan, the promised land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Now, Paul, he changes it up just a little bit. He says, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long, not in the land the Lord God gives you, but it says that you may live long on the earth. So what is he saying here? Well, he's given two promises. First, he says, children, to honor your parents, obey them, so that it may go well with you. So that it may go well with you. So Paul here is laying down a general principle that things will go better for you, children, if you obey your parents. You'll just have a better life if you obey your parents. First of all, you'll be safer. How many of you children didn't do what your parents said you should do and you end up getting hurt? Any little ones? I know that happens in everybody's house around here. Us parents like to call it the natural consequences, right? It will go well with you if you obey your parents. Which, by the way, when Paul says in verse 2, Look at the text. He says, which is the first commandment with a promise. In Exodus 20, this was the first commandment with a promise. But Paul doesn't say that in the past tense. He doesn't say this was the first commandment with a promise. He says this is, and that's in the present tense in the original language. This is the first commandment with a promise. So now what we have to do is figure out what is that promise for us today. We're obviously not ethnic Israel in the promised land. So what is Paul talking about here? Well, that's the first thing, that it's just going to generally go well with you. And we see this throughout Proverbs. Proverbs thirty seventeen. children, listen to this text. The eye that mocks a father and scorns a mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out as the young eagles will eat it. The idea here is that one who mocks his father, scorns his mother, disobeys, is dishonoring, bad things are going to happen. It may not necessarily be that the ravens pick out the flesh of the child, but bad things will happen. So there's a general principle that you'll avoid the pitfalls and dangers if you obey your parents. This should be a motivator to us, to you children. 
The next part of the promise I want to hone in on here, look what it says. It says that you may live long on the earth. What is he talking about here? This is the first commandment with a promise. Is he saying that I'm going to have a long life if I obey my parents? Well, I don't think he's saying that because I think we all know children who have been relatively good, obedient children that have died young. And we've seen lots of heathen that are very disobedient live long lives. So what is he talking about here? Well, it could be one of two things. First, Paul could be paralleling the longevity of the Israelites in that promised land with the longevity of any culture who secures child obedience. Remember, God gives this command to his physical people knowing that if you secure the fifth commandment of child obedience, you will have a long life as a society. When the fifth commandment breaks down, the society breaks down. So he could be paralleling that with any society that upholds, protects, and promotes the fifth commandment, that people will live long on the land. And I think there's truth there. However, I believe Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is applying this text to the New Covenant Church that has further-reaching implications. The context of the passage in Ephesians 6 is he's giving instructions to the believing family, the church at Ephesus. He's given instructions to Christian wives, Christian fathers, and Christian children. I see this as Paul using this as a precondition which God uses to bring about multi-generational faithfulness. Just as obedience to this command would secure multi-generational physical success for physical Israel, follow me here, obedience to this command in the church now brings about multi-generational spiritual success. Let me explain. I'm not saying that just having obedient children is a formula for having, or excuse me, having obedient children is not a formula per se for having um, saved kids. But what I'm saying is that if we secure the obedience of the fifth commandment, this sets a foundation for how God uses the law, discipline, his holiness, the need for a savior to bring your children to Christ. Godly parents' discipline is not arbitrary. It's based on the word of God. Godly parents' discipline based on the word of God is what he uses to bring children to faith in Jesus Christ. When parents command their children after them, as Abraham did, when parents train their children to obey first time, when they're little, when they get older, then their children will obey in the big things like praying, reading the Bible, listening to the preaching of the Word of God, learning catechisms, memorizing Scripture. All of these things, along with the gospel in the home and at church, friends, is what God uses to convert children and young adults in the home. Therefore, securing child obedience in a God-fearing home is one of the key elements God uses to bring about multi-generational faithfulness. Is it no wonder that 80 to 90% of Christian children that grow up in the Christian church leave the faith when they leave the home? Because if you walk into an average evangelical family, you see that it's actually the kids who run the home. So you see the average evangelical family, they're not securing child obedience The children are running home. When they get older, you think they're going to listen to mom and dad. Hey, pay attention to church. No, I'm doing my own thing. Hey, read your Bible. I don't want to. That's not cool, right? Do you see the similarities and the parallels? Disobedient two-year-olds turn into obstinate 10-year-olds, which turn into rebellious 15-year-olds. You see homes where you see this perpetuated. Johnny, time to eat your dinner. I don't like it. Okay, we'll have this instead. I'll, or I'll make you something different. Johnny, 
Time to put on your clothes. I don't want to wear those clothes. Okay, well, what do you want to wear? Now, Anna, time to clean up your toys. Five minutes later, Mom's cleaning them up while Anna's off playing with something else. Anna, say hello to Mrs. Smith. Dead silence. Oh, she's just shy. No, friends. That's sin. That's a home where the children are running the home, not the parents. These are examples, silly examples, but these are examples of a home where the child runs, and it's a child-centered home. Other examples are when children are allowed to constantly interrupt adults while they're talking, or children who use manipulation or rebellion to get their way. When the child's needs, listen to this, when the child's needs are placed as more important than your own spouse's, or when they dictate how and when things are done around the house, and this may be in form of whining, complaining, this is a child-centered home. Lou Priolo wrote a great book called The Heart of Anger. He describes a child-centered home as, quote, where the child perceives that the entire family exists essentially to please and make him or her happy. Father and mother and siblings exist only to serve and meet the child's needs and desires. Versus a God-centered home, he says, is, quote, the child perceives that the husband's the head of the family, the wife is submissive to her husband, theirs is the primary relationship. Mom and dad, their relationship is first. It is permanent and it exists to glorify God. Children have a secondary and temporary relationship. So friends, what I'm saying here is that children who grow up in this child-centered home where they're, for the most part, allowed to do what they want to do, they more than likely will not submit to their parents in the spiritual things, such as reading their Bible, praying, coming to church, being attentive in church. And these are the ordinary means that God uses to save children and to pass down the faith from one generation to the next. I love my children, you love your children, but the Bible says that folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from them. Your child, their will needs to be redirected, not absolutely broken, but it needs to be bended and directed to your heart, mom, to your heart, dad, to your authority, which will be one of the means that God uses to lead them to Christ. So I want to conclude this message by looking again at our model, children. Our model is the Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus came down from heaven to earth, lived a complete life as the Son of God, as God in the flesh, but he lived it in complete submission to the Father. He submitted to the Father by submitting to his earthly parents. He submitted to the Father wholly as an adult. He never lived to do his own will, and we are to follow in his steps. He said a number of times, like in John 6, 38, I have come down not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient he became obedient children as a man. And it says to the point of death, he became so obedient, knowing, knowing that he was going to, it was going to lead him to the cross. Him obeying the Father was not going to lead him to a happy life. His, be, his obedience to the Father was going to lead him to die on a cross and suffer the full wrath of God for all the sins that those would repent and come to Christ. Children, do you desire to be obedient to, to the Father as Jesus was in his life and in his death? If you do, walk by faith, knowing that he will provide the grace that you need to please him. If not, if you don't sense the desire to be obedient to the Father, but to be obedient to your own will and your own desires, then I strongly implore you, children, to repent uh, to come to Christ, you may not be born again. And Jesus said that a man must be born again if they are to see 
the kingdom of heaven. You need to be born again, children. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Today is the day to salvation. And then submit to Christ wholly by submitting to your parents wholly. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much, Lord, for your word. Your word is your word is food for our soul, God. It nourishes us. It builds us up, Lord. Forgive me, Father. Forgive me for falling so short, God, in this command of even honoring my parents as an adult. Uh, Lord, I, Lord, I thank you for forgiving me of all of my sins, including all of my rebellion that I had towards my parents. And Father, I pray for all the children here today that by your grace, Lord, you would lead them, give them the grace that they need to obey and honor their parents, Lord. And God, I pray for the moms and dads here, Lord, that you would give them grace not to exasperate their children, but to lead them in the things of God. Help them to be models of what it's like to submit to Christ. Help them, Lord, to be consistent, to be loving in their discipline with their children, Lord. God, may our families be institutions of love. May our families glorify Christ. In Jesus' name.